Good morning, Bokertov, and welcome back to our Parsha Perspectives for today on Erev Rosh Hashanah. Now, you may notice that there is no Parsha that we read this Shabbos. The Shabbos is Rosh Hashanah, Shabbos, and Sunday, and that's why rather than address a particular Parsha, I want to spend our time this morning uh, briefly looking at one of the readings for Rosh Hashanah, the dominant reading, which is Akedas Yitzchak. And the reason I say it's the more dominant of the readings is because the theme of Akedas Yitzchak, the theme of the binding of Yitzchak, is not just the Torah reading that we do the second day, but rather that theme informs and inspires and guides many of the practices that we have. It's referenced in part of the davening, the very shofar blowing itself. And so I want to take a look at Akedas Yitzchak, the end of Parshas Vayera, and back in Sefer Bracious, and to look at three specific lessons of Akedas Yitzchak that not from a Parshanut perspective, but rather a Rosh Hashanah perspective, can help inspire us and guide us and get it, get us ready for Rosh Hashanah this year. I want to thank our sponsors this morning. First of all, the series is generously sponsored for the year by dear friends Becky and Avi Katz and family, in loving memory of David Grossman, Le'ilu Nishmas David Menachem Manish. This morning's class, in particular, is sponsored by the Gelb Goldman and Shaknovsky children in honor of their parents, Dr. David and Susan Gelb, wishing them and all of Kali Yisrael a healthy and a happy new year, and indeed, that is our wish, our hope, and our dream for all of Kla Yisrael. Thank you for the sponsorship, and thank you for being with us. So, the story of the Akedah, we all know the story of the Akedah, and it was after these things. After which things? It's after the story of the, um, the bris, the covenant, which is formed with Avimelech, and then the Torah tells us what many consider to be the tenth and ultimate test that Avram endured. It happened, Hashem tested Avram. He tested Avram, which is the simple translation of the word Nisa. We'll see, not everybody agrees to it. Avram. He called out to Avram. And Avram said, Here I am. I'm showing up. I've arrived. Here I am. I'm ready to answer the call. I'm ready to do my best. I'm ready to be present. Not present like members of Congress present, which we're critical of. Present as in, yes, I'm answering the call to realize my purpose and my mission in this world. So again, I want to share three different insights, some of which you may have heard or read from me recently, but they bear repeating, and particularly as we get ready, as I said, to not only hear the Torah reading of the second day Rosh Hashanah, the Akedah, but also draw from its lessons and its themes as well. What was the goal, the purpose of this Nisayon? Hashem tests Avram. Why? After the first nine, was it not established that Avram is a loyal servant? So many of you, so many of us have been tested by aspects of life, by years of living. And here we are now with this pandemic. Here we are now, Corona, COVID. If it doesn't test us directly by compromising health, thank God if we're lucky, then it tests every single one of us indirectly by challenging and compromising our yontif with whom we can be, our capacity to socialize, to go out, financially to earn income. In so many different ways, it is challenging. It is testing many. And just like Avram, there's a sense, there's a feeling that many have been tested through their lives. Some who are listening on the many platforms that we're broadcasting right now have experienced loss, have experienced grief, have experienced suffering, been tested enough, Hashem. We've stuck with you. We've clung to you. Why another test? Why does it seem like it doesn't end? And that's the question for Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu endured nine tests. He overcame, he triumphed, he persevered through nine evaluations of his loyalty, of his fidelity, of his faith. 
Why this one, the ultimate one, the biggest one, to sacrifice his son? Not just his son, his everything. His everything. Rashi here alludes, we know Chazal already see, that Avram waited a hundred years to have Yitzchak. He finally has the son, and God says, this is the one. Your legacy will come through him. He will be your continuity. He will be the mouthpiece. He will be the advocate. He will be the ambassador who picks up the mantle after you, who preaches and teaches ethical monotheism, who continues this mission of transforming the world. When Avram finally realizes that dream and he has this son, and the son is 37 years old, coming into his own, ready to serve as the assistant rabbi, ready to take over, ready to share the mantle of giving drushas, ready to continue to partner, to transform the world, Hashem says, yeah, you know know that son you waited for? You know the one I promised that you'd have a continuity through? I want to take him to the top of the mountain and slaughter him. That's how I know you love me. Kill him. And with him, kill everything that you've dedicated your life to. Kill your future and kill your, your um, continuity. I want you to kill everything by killing him. Why? Why would Hashem ask this? Why would Avram have to endure this? Why would he go through this? So the Rambam in Mor Nevuchim, in the third Chelek, the Rambam writes the following in Mor Nevuchim. I'll read it to you in the English. Mornavuchim is not written in Hebrew even to begin with. I read it to you in the English. The Hebrew itself is a translation. The Rambam writes, It comes to inform us the extent and limit of the love of Hashem, and how far the year of him extends. Avram is commanded to do a certain act, which cannot be equaled by any surrender of property or by any sacrifice of life. It goes beyond anything else that can be done and belongs to a class of actions which are believed to be contrary to human feelings. He had been without a child. He had been longing for a child. He had great riches and was expecting a nation would come forth from his seed. After he had given up all hope, a son was born to him. How delighted he must have been with that child, how intensely he must have loved him. And yet, because he feared Hashem and loved to do what Hashem commanded, he thought little of that beloved child and set aside all his hopes concerning him and consented to kill him after a journey of three days. The fact he performed it three days after he received the commandment proves that this followed thought, proper consideration, and careful examination of what is due to the divine command and what is in accordance with the love and fear of Hashem. The Ramah here writes in Moran Avuchem, do you know why Avram was tested? Not for Avram. He had established, he had proven himself. Hashem had known, it was confirmed, Avram's love, loyalty, and faith. This was to teach the world just how far Ava and Yira go, how far it stretches and reaches when one has a loyalty and love for Hashem. After all, what does Hashem say at the end of the Akedah when Avram passes? Kiadati, now I know, the Ramam says, read it, Hodati, that now it's publicized what type of person Avram is. Now the world knows, now it's on record, now there's a precedent. Emuna, faith, what it can draw in a person. Says the Rambam, the purpose of the Akedah was not about Avram at all. It was educational. It was pedagogic. It was to teach and inspire the world. That the world would forever look back. And the world would forever point. And the world would forever know just how deep our faith can go. Just how far our faith can reach. Just how much it can take us, enable us, strengthen us to overcome all that's asked of us. Now the Ibn Ezra the Ibn Ezra doesn't like the Rambam's interpretation because the Ibn Ezra says, that can't be the reason. It was educational, pedagogic. It was to teach a teachable moment. Who knew about it? Who was there to see it, to observe it? Yes, we have the Torah and we read it. We read it on Rosh Hashanah. We read it in Sefer Bracious. But nobody was present to have learned from it at the time. So what was the education that came out of it? The Barbanel has a second interpretation. By the way, there's a, a very compelling question which we're not going to address but which bother many and may bother you this Rosh Hashanah and always, which is, Avram, when he heard about the fate of Stom, stood up, challenged God, protested, objected. 
And now Hashem says, take your own son's life, and he's silent. He says nothing, no objection, no protest, no argument, no moral. Why is he quiet when it comes to his own son? And when it came to the wicked and evil people of Stom, that's when Avram found his voice. And here he's silent. Very compelling question. Not for now. Not for now. So the Abar Ben El has a second interpretation of what this word Nisava, Elohim Nisa is Avram. And the Abar Ben El writes that a nace, it means a miracle. A nace means a test. But a nace also means a banner. A nace means a banner. For example, we say in our davening, Vesanes there doesn't mean perform a miracle to gather in the exiles. Vesanes in our own davening means wave a flag, raise a banner. Vesanes, lift the Nefesh Benefesh logo, the Kabets, and gather everyone from all over wherever they are. So says the Abar Benel here too, the word Nisayon, Relukim Nisas Avra means a banner. Tell the world, teach and show Emuna. Raise a banner that talks about how far faith can go. For the Rambam, it was a teachable moment to the non-Jews of the world, to the world, to humanity. For the Abar Benel, it's for the Jews for all time. That we Jews would know that whatever we're going through in life, whatever we face, whatever obstacles we're challenged to overcome, we have the DNA in Avra, of Avram inside us. We are his progeny. We are his legacy. We are his children. We carry his genetic material. And just like he had the faith to persevere, so too do we. Nisayon, this is a banner. This is a reminder. This is held up for us to know and to know for all time just the capacity and the strength that we all have to overcome whatever we're being asked in the moment. The Rashbam, Rashi's grandson of Shmuel ben Meir, has a different interpretation of the word Nisa. This is all part of point number one. I'm building up to all part of point number one. A third interpretation of what the word nes here means. The Rashbam writes, The Rashbam quotes Psukim from other contexts and proves from there that the word nes can mean not only a test, not only a miracle, and not even only a banner. The word nes also has another meaning, which means provoked or angered. Says the Rashbam, he provoked Avram. You know, he poked Avram. Avram, you know that son, the one you waited for? You know the son, the one you're invested in? You know the son, the one that you believe everything will come through? He provoked him, he angered him, he poked him a little. He agitated and aggravated him in order to be able to draw out from him, in order to be able to learn from him. After the bris with Avimelech, after that covenant, Hashem, a little, a little shtuch, a little poke, Nisa, a little provocation in order to see what Avram was, was made of. But the Ramban finally, and this is the point that I really want to get to as point number one. The Ramban and ultimately the Ibn Ezra have a different interpretation. The Ramban writes, What is the goal of a test? And I would argue to you, my dear friends, maybe this is why we read on Rosh Hashanah. You see, the simple understanding of why we read the story of the Akedah and Rosh Hashanah is Rosh Hashanah, we're being Mamlech Hashem, we're coronating God, we're celebrating His inauguration. We are establishing and expressing our unending faith in Him. Who is the one who taught us that faith? Who is the paradigm of the perfect and the greatest faith? None other than Avram. So if you'd ask me, why do we read the Akedah on Rosh Hashanah? Why do we draw the lessons, the shofar, tashlach, so many of the other parts of Rosh Hashanah come from the story of the Akedah? Why? First of all, the Zohar, the Medrash tell us that uh, the Akedah, the Akedah happened on Rosh Hashanah. 
Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of the story of the Akedah itself. But if you'd ask me, why are we drawing so many of our lessons from the Akedah? Because it's the model of the ultimate faith, the paradigm of faith, and we too are meant to have that same faith. But I want to flip it on its head. And what I want to share with you this morning in these three points are different lessons or different um, inspirations that we can draw from the Akedah. Not only pressure on us, not only evaluating us for just how far our faith goes, but maybe also strengthening us through the difficult and challenging times that we go through. So the Ramban writes, what's the purpose of a nace? What's the purpose of a nisayon, of a, of a test? Why does God do it? Bikesh Yaakov, Leishev Bashalva, Yaakov wanted peace and quiet, and frankly, so do I. So do you. Who doesn't want to retire to South Florida, sit under a palm tree, sipping pina colada, learning the dafyomi, reading a book, playing shuffleboard, enjoying life, heading to the early bird dinner, and going to bed early. Who doesn't want that life? Bikesh Yaakov Leshe Bashava. Everybody wants quiet. We want peace. Test me. You tested me with coronavirus and tested me with the economy and testing me with five named hurricanes in the Atlantic Ocean right now because we don't have enough challenges in 2020. Testing and testing and testing. And t- Who needs all these tests? Who needs these tests? Hashem, if you really love me, don't test me. If you really love me, let, let me live peacefully. Let me have some quiet and serenity. So the Ramban says, that wouldn't be love. That wouldn't be love. Why wouldn't that be love? Why wouldn't that be love? Listen to the Ramban. You see, we're going to talk about this on Shabbat Shuvah. You can have a good heart, but you know, you're not what's in your heart. You are what you do. We are the product of what we do, not what we think, not what we believe, not who we are in our heart. Who you are in your heart is lovely. It's nice. It's between you and you and you and God. But who you are, evaluated by those around you, is what you do. So Hashem says, I want to bring out of you the best. I want to help you realize who you could become. I want you to fulfill or at least make progress towards your potential. I don't want you to be an underachiever. I didn't create you to only use a tiny fraction or percentage of what you could be. I want you to overachieve in every area of your life, but how will you do it? So the sad fact is that most of us, unless we're pushed against a wall, unless we're backed into a corner, unless we're forced, we don't realize who we could be. I'll tell you something very personal about me. Unless I have a deadline, I am the world's greatest procrastinator. I struggle with laziness and procrastination and pushing things off and getting things done. And if I didn't have a deadline, if I didn't have a pressure, external or internal, whether pushed upon me or chosen or set by me, then I likely would not get done much or most of what I do. The bottom line is for many of us who are not necessarily self-starters, for many of us who are happy getting away with more minimum than maximum, if we weren't challenged or pressured or forced, then we wouldn't become the best of who we could be. Minakoach, which is potential, el hapoel, to the realized, from what's in our heart, to what's in our actions. The purpose of a test is to be the people that we're meant to be. Because you know, when we're tested, we discover all kinds of things about ourselves that previously heretofore we didn't even know. We didn't even know. I once read a story many years ago about, it was obviously a mushal, not a real story, about a wealthy individual who hosted a, a party at his estate. And he invited his colleagues and friends. And before they sat down for their fancy dinner, they went for a tour of the estate. And there were multiple uh, homes and gardens and benches 
It was a magnificent estate, and it had several pools. And as the host walked with the entourage of guests past one of the pools, the host said, you see this pool? This is my pool that's filled with piranhas and sharks and dangerous fish. This is where I keep the exotic fish that can risk your threat in your life. And then the host jokingly challenged the guest and said, you know, whoever jumps in and can swim to the other side and come out alive, I'll give you whatever you want. So all the guests turn to continue on their tour of the estate and suddenly they hear a splash. They all turn around and there's one of the guests in his tuxedo and his bow tie attending this fancy dinner party and he's swimming ferociously. He's swimming with all of his life trying to navigate around the piranhas, the sharks, the dangerous fish and he makes it to the other side and he climbs out of that pool and he is dripping wet and he can't catch his breath and he has just swum for his, swam for his life. And the host, making good on his promise, can't believe what he sees and turns to his guest and says, I, I can't believe you took me up on the offer. I can't believe you jumped in the pool, you swam to the other side. But I promised, whoever can make it out alive, I would offer whatever they want. Tell me, what is it you want? And the guest took another deep breath, still catching his breath, and turned to the host and said, what do I want? What do I want? I only want one thing. I want to know who pushed me in. What's the lesson? If you weren't pushed into that pool, everyone would turn around and keep walking. But sometimes we get pushed into positions, pushed into pools, pushed into places in our lives, which force us to dig deep and discover a, tenac a tenacity, a resiliency, a resolve, strengths, character traits, qualities, that unless we were pushed, we would never know that we have. Kirsch Baruch says, I want you to live your best. I want you to fulfill your most. I want you to overachieve. And you're not going to do it on your own. It's not going to happen if I leave it up to you. So he sometimes puts us in challenging moments in order to discover things about ourselves that we otherwise never would. And so while for the Rambam it's to teach the world, and for the Rashbam it was to teach the Jewish people the power of prayer, the power of faith, for the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra it's to teach us the power of us, the potential in us, and this year, as we read the Akedah, that second day of Rosh Hashanah, and we blow the shofar that's specifically from an Ayal Ram to invoke the image of the Akedah, and we'll say Tashlach by the body of water, which also is a reference we'll mention in a moment, to the Akedah. As we keep coming back to the Akedah over and over again this Rosh Hashanah, I submit and suggest to you that not only do we use it in order to stretch and to reach to have the faith of our forefather Avram, but also to think about the tests in our lives. And instead of feeling as if we're not loved because we're tested, to realize that we're tested only because of Hashem's tremendous love for us. And to try to evaluate in what ways we've grown by being tested. How have we become different, better, bigger people? And how can we yet continue to grow? How can we not look for tests, not jump into the pool of life intentionally, but when we're pushed there, how can we embrace it? How can we, instead of be a victim, and instead of being complacent and apathetic, and instead of blaming others, and instead of crying, why me, embrace that test in order to discover who we're meant to be, and to grow to be, to become the best that we can be. All of that is point number, point number one about a test. Point number two, the imagery of the Akedah, again, second day Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of the story and the unfolding of the Akedah. And this I just mentioned yesterday in the Kol Oshir, but I want to repeat it for the many who are not on it. And it bears repeating. Torah tells us the story 
That was point number one, the different interpretations of the word Nisa. And Avram answers the call, here I am. Test me. I'm ready. I want to discover the best in me. I'm ready to embrace your challenge or test Hashem. So Hashem tells him what to do. And Vayashkem Avram Baboker. Avram wakes up early in the morning. And this is the makar, the source that we learn about Zerizim Makdim and Lemitzvos. The notion of alacrity and zeal and enthusiasm and energy that the Zerizim, that the people who are righteous and virtuous, Makdim and Lemitzvos. We don't wait and we don't delay and we don't procrastinate. We don't turn our mitzvahs into chametz, atach mitzena, but we run to fulfill them. We embrace them with joy. Vayashkem Avram Baboker, he wakes up early in the morning in order to fulfill the will of God. And he saddles the donkey himself, also a lesson. Avram was a very wealthy man. He could have afforded to delegate that task to others, but when you want to show your enthusiasm and energy to do something for someone you care about, you don't delegate. You don't outsource. You run to do it yourself. He takes the two lads with him, Yitzchak Beno and his son Yitzchak. He takes the wood and he heads to the place that God tells him. And what happens? All of a sudden we skip. The text itself skips. Next thing you know, lo and behold, when is it? The third day. He lifts his eyes and he sees the place from a distance. Rav Hirsch says, by the way, Vayaras HaMakom, the word Makom is one of the names of God. Baruch HaMakom Baruch Hu, Vayaras HaMakom Yerachok, HaMakom Yenachim Eschem. Why is that name God HaMakom? It means God is a place that's far off, inaccessible, seems at a distance when we're struggling. Here, Avram doesn't understand why he's been asked, Vayaras HaMakom, he sees God, but it's Merachok. Hashem feels like he's at a distance. So it's the third day. Vayom HaAvram Elonarav Shvulachem Po Imachamor Vaniva Nar Nacha Adko. You stay here with the donkey, I'm going with Yitzchak. We mentioned in the Parsha several weeks ago. Why did this happen? The Medrash fills in. Because when he's still at the distance, he points. He's with Eliezer, Yishmael, and Avra, and the Yitzchak. And he points at the mountain, Har HaMoriah, the Temple Mountain. He says, new, new Chevra, new children. Boys, what do you see? What do you see? Eliezer and Yishmael say, well, I don't know, what do we see? A mountain. What do you see? Dirt, earth, nothing, a barren desert. He says, Yitzchak, my son, what do you see? What do I see? I see the cloud of Hashem. I see the heavens opening up. I see the revelation of God. He says, boys, Eliezer Nishmal, Am hadome lachamor. You see no further than a donkey. Chamor miloshen chomer. The chamor, the donkey, is chomer material. All you see is right in front of your eyes. Yitzchak is a dreamer. He sees above. He doesn't just see what's right in front of him. The chomer, the chamor. You're an am hadome lachamor. You, Yishmal, you, Eliezer... You're like a donkey. All you see is the material of the Chomer. Yitzchak, you see beyond. You have a vision. You have an imagination. You intuit spirituality. That's L'Sheikh Nosid, Rishu, Uvas Hashem. Hashem doesn't give the coordinates of the Beis HaMikdash. He wants us to be a Mavakesh, a Doresh. He wants us to intuit, to search, to look, to imagine. That's what the Rav writes, that Avram said to Yitzchak, Yitzchak sees. He says, no, you come with me. But I want to draw your attention to, in the text, It skips. It's missing a core part. It says, Hashem tests Avram. Avram says, Hineni, I'm ready, God, bring it on. Hashem says, here's what you got to do. And next thing you know, all of a sudden the text says, Bayom HaShlishi, it's the third day. What happened on day one? What happened on day two? What was going through Avram's mind? You know, put yourself in Avram's mind for a moment. For a moment. God tells Avram, listen, don't tell anybody. But here's the deal. I know that you tell the entire world, don't kill your kids. 
because the pagans in those days would murder their children as an act of idolatry. And you, Avram, have been standing on your soapbox. You, Avram, have been tweeting and Facebooking. You had Zooming and YouTubing. You've been telling the world through every means and platform possible, don't murder your own children to serve God. That's absurd. That's idolatry. That's paganism. Don't do it. It's unethical, immoral. It's depraved. Don't do it. Well, you know how you've been preaching don't do it? Mm, I want you to do it. Go do it. And don't tell anybody. What in the world is going through Avram's mind? Take your son, the one you waited for, the one you love. The one you love. It takes Avram a while to figure out who it is God's talking about. God says, Kachna's bincha, take your son. Avram says, my son? I have two sons. Ezechircha, the singular son. Avram says they're both singular. Each is the only son to that mother. As Asher Hafta, take the one you love. This is very interesting. Avram says, I love them both. I love Yitzchak and I love Yishmael. Finally, Hashem, as if exasperated, okay, enough, take Yitzchak, fine, Yitzchak, take Yitzchak, take Yitzchak. So Hashem tells him, take Yitzchak, and he can't tell anybody. Three days Avram's traveling. It takes him three days to go from being asked, as the Rambam wrote, three days to go from being asked to get to the mountain. What was he thinking in those three days? What was he thinking? How was he feeling? He couldn't tell Sarah. We know Sarah didn't know because the beginning of Chai Sarah, when she finds out about this, she is shocked to death. She has a heart attack from the thought that Yitzchak was almost taken from her. Sarah doesn't know. Yitzchak doesn't know, obviously. He doesn't tell anybody. Avram is suffering in silence. Avram is going through a test, and it's not a test that there's Tehillim rallies, and everybody's taking challah, and everybody's getting together and doing mitzvos, and everybody's learning shas, and everybody's doing everything in his merit. This is a test that he's enduring, this test quietly, without anybody's knowledge. So what in the world is he thinking for those three days? Bayomi Shlishi. He gets there on the third day, what is going through his mind for the three days? So what the text leaves out, the Medrash fills in. And the Medrash describes, listen to this Medrash. It's a Medrash Tanchuma for sake of time. I'll read it to you in the English. The Medrash says, Vayakam Vayelech, Avram got up and he went. Says the Medrash, the Satan accosted him and appeared to him in the guise of an old man. And the old man said, where are you going? And Avram said to the Satan, I'm going to Davin. So the Sultan turned to him and said, you're going to daven, you're going to pray. Since when do you pray? You need a pile of wood and an axe. What do you need a fire and a knife? Avram says, because you never know what could happen on the way. Maybe on my way to pray, I'm going to get hungry. I'll need to shecht. I'll need to cook. Maybe I'll need a fire. Maybe I'll get stuck. So I said to the Sultan, hey, old man, this is not me, it's the Medrash Tanchuma. Says the Sultan to Avram, old man, who are you kidding? Do you think I wasn't there when God told you to kill your own son? I was there, and I heard it, and I know you're going to kill your son. You waited a hundred years to have him. You think it's moral and ethical to kill him? And said Avram to the Satan, you can't stop me. Nevertheless, I'm going. So the Satan said, don't do it, because tomorrow God's going to accuse you of being a murderer. Today you think he asked you to do it, but tomorrow you're going to wake up and he's going to say, how could you have done it? You murdered your own son. And again, Avram said, nevertheless, I'm going. Nothing can stop me. And the Medrash continues with this extraordinary imagery that the Satan fails to persuade Avram not, not to go. So what does the Satan do next? Satan takes on the form of a river. And Avram plunges into the water. It reaches his knees. And he says to Yitzchak, follow me. 
And you can see Avram and Yitzchak side by side. They're walking and wading through this river. And they reach midway. The waters come up to their neck. And Avram looks up to the heavens and he says, Ribona Shalom Almighty. Didn't you choose me and reveal yourself to me? And you told me through me you would make your name known in the world. And then through my son Yitzchak. And now these waters are endangering my life. If Yitzchak and I drown, your word will have been violated. Who will proclaim the unity of your existence? And Hashem answered Avram and said, through you shall the unity of my name be proclaimed. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu rebuked the river and the Satan, it dried up. Avram stood on firm ground and by Yom HaShlishi. And it was the third day. What does this mean? Who is this Satan? We believe in a Satan? Is there some external voice? The devil? Does he wear red? Does he have funny horns and a pitchfork? Who is this Satan? What is the image of this Satan? I want to share with you an extraordinary insight from the Chamalebev at Zichron Levracha. In her commentary on Chumash, back in Sefer Bereshis, she writes the following. And listen carefully, listen carefully, this Rosh Hashanah, this COVID-2020 Tafshin Pei Aleph Rosh Hashanah. Says Nacham Lebevitz, maybe what the Medrash means is the Satan is not some external voice. This Satan is not someone outside of Avram Avinu. You know who the Satan is? You know the guise of the old man who comes to challenge Avram is? It's Avram's alter ego. It's the voice within Avram's own head of doubt and uncertainty. It's that own sense within Avram that says, maybe this isn't the right thing to do. It's Avram's own hesitation and reluctance. So one by one, these doubts, they assail him. First, it's his paternal instinct. It challenges him. Can you really kill your son, the one you waited a hundred years for, the one you waited forever for, the one that's so precious to you? And then Avram turns to his own paternal instinct and says, yes, I have to do it. And then the voice of his conscience calls out and says, maybe today you think it's right, but tomorrow you'll wake up and realize you're a murderer. How does this stim, how does this work with your own moral conscience and compass? And Avram says, nevertheless, I have to do this. And then, then the Satan takes the form of the river, which is the, form, which is the metaphor, says Necham of the obstacles and impediments that stand in our way. The things when we know what we're supposed to do, and then we encounter an obstacle, that we make an excuse and we cop out and we blame the obstacle instead of overcoming it, running over it or around it or even running through it. And Avram says, this river can't stop me. Now, by the way, this is the source, what we spoke about yesterday in the afternoon, Kolo, you can listen online, the history and the background and the customs of Tashlach. The Maharil, the Maharil, who is the entire source of the Minag of Tashlach, the Maharil says the reason that we say Tashlach is to go to a river, a body of water, and to remember that the Satan tried to block Avram from the Akedah. And when we look at that body of water, we realize the things that try to block us in our lives and the need to overcome them. And that we cast into this water Chatoseinu, our sins. And you know what's the biggest sin? Underachieving. The biggest sin is not becoming who we can and we are meant to be. The biggest chait is that we, we ran into those obstacles and we gave up and we turned around and we lay down instead of running over or around or running through them. So we go to a body of water to invoke the image of the Akedah, the Satan, that voice in our own minds. And why am I sharing this with you as point number two today? Because this Rosh Hashanah, when we read the Akedah, again, think about Avram's unparalleled faith. And how we too have that genetic material, that DNA, that even when we're going through hard times, we too can draw from that faith, the well of faith that Avram implanted in us. But I think there's also this other second message, which is, 
It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have uncertainty. It's okay to hesitate and pause. You have to put one foot in front of the other like Avram did by Yom HaShlishi, by the third day he gets there. But you know, we sometimes read the story of the Akedah and we think that Avram had doubt free. Avram had perfect faith. So me, when I hesitate, because I, we bury a 53-year-old woman, a pure, outstanding, beautiful neighbor, and therefore I have doubts, I have questions. I say, Hashem, how could you? And where are you? And why would you? And then we feel grossly inadequate and we feel ashamed. And according to Nechama Leibovitz's reading of the Akedah, we shouldn't. Because none other than the great Avram Avinu had to contend with those voice of doubts. He too had to answer the Satan in his own mind. He answered successfully. He put one foot in front of another, so much so that by Yom HaShlishi, on the third day he arrived, and so can we. I'm not suggesting that it's okay to give in to the voice of doubt or uncertainty, to give credence or credibility to the voice of doubt and uncertainty, to allow the voice of doubt or uncertainty to defeat us. Chas b'shalom, God forbid. What I'm telling you is that you have license to have that voice, to contend with those doubts, to be able to try to overcome them and to grow from them and to be better ultimately as a result of them. That is point number two about the Akedah. Point number three about reading the Akedah this year. Reading the Akedah. Three, these are alternative lessons of the Akedah. Again, our point is that the simple understanding is the Akedah. We read it. Why? Because this is the measure. This is the expectation of the, of the type of faith that we're capable of. And the three alternatives I'm reading are number one, to embrace the test, to realize that that the purpose of a test is to help us grow, is to realize our potential, is to become better, is to overachieve. Embrace the test. If we're being tested with corona or any other test in our life, don't look for it, don't welcome it, but lean into it. Embrace it and use it, leverage it to be able to be the best that we can be. Point number two, where the voice of doubts and uncertainty is none other than Avram had to contend with them. And we too have license to contend with them. However, we too must ultimately overcome them. We, by Yom HaShlishi, have to arrive having passed our tests. And the third lesson I want to share has to do with the chauffeur and the aisle and the aisle. And this again was my article from this past week. You'll forgive me or bear with me for the chazara, for the repetition of it. But I feel strongly about it. We're going through a tough time, and you know, I saw an article towards the beginning of Corona, so we're talking four, five, six months ago. And the article said that many millennials are going through the hardest, the first time they've had to struggle in their lives. We're living in a generation of helicopter parenting. We're living in a generation of a time where we bail out and we rescue and we pay off and we take care. Young people don't know what it means to struggle. They don't know what it means to struggle. My wife, Yechavid, loves to point out that when we were kids, on parent-teacher conference night, we children shook in our boots. We trembled. Our parents were going to come home, and boy, they were going to, if we weren't behaving or underachieving, we were in trouble. Now, teachers shake in their boots on parent-teacher conference night. That the parents are going to come in, and boy, are they going to give the teacher a hard time about why their children isn't succeeding or getting an A, didn't get the trophy, what's wrong with the teacher that the child doesn't, they don't realize that their child is perfect. We're living in a time of helicopter parenting, bailing out. There was a Wall Street and New Times article several months ago before Corona about parents going to college campuses in order to make play dates for their college-aged children. That children don't know how to make new friends or integrate. Parents need to go there and help them. So maybe it's an exaggeration. Maybe it's an exaggeration. Maybe it's not. That our children don't know what it means to struggle because we can't bear to see them struggle. So we are living in an affluent time where we can afford often to not have to see them struggle. 
By the way, struggle line means that they don't have the latest version of the iPhone. That's, that's the struggle that we want to spare them. Chas v'shalom, they should go without the latest version of the iPhone. We don't want to, we can't bear to see them struggle. But we're doing a terrible disservice to them. Because the struggle, the nisayon, the nace, is how we become who we're meant to be. It's how we grow and break through, break through barriers. It's how we begin to achieve and how we begin to overachieve. And so there's this notion, even in religion, that we have to preach, and I know that I sometimes record videos with my, my son Shai, Gishmak to be a Yid, that it's Gishmak to be a Yid. And it is Gishmak to be a Yid. It is Gishmak. It's beautiful, it's great, it's fantastic, it's awesome, it's pleasurable, it's fun, it's fulfilling, it's satisfying, gratifying, it is Gishmak. But you know, sometimes it's also Schwerzezein. Ramosha Feinstein famously said that we can't tell our children to Schwerzezein a Yid, it's difficult to be a Jew. You have to tell them it's Gishmak to be a Yid, because Ramosha was talking to a generation who survived the Holocaust. And if you tell these second generation or you tell these survivors themselves that it's fair to be a Yid, that it's difficult to be a Jew, but you have to be a Jew anyway, they'd say, I'm out of here. Sayonara. I'm out. So you have to tell them it's Gishmak. Keep Shabbos, keep kosher. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur in a difficult, challenging year. Do it. And why should you do it? Because it's Gishmak to be a Yid. You can't say to Shver to Zayin be a Yid. But I argue that we've gone to the extreme. The pendulum has swung too far in that direction that all we ever tell our children is it's Gishmak. And sometimes we have to remind them that it's not always Gishmak. It's not always Gishmak. Doing the dishes and sweeping the floor and taking out the garbage, in relationships, it's not always Gishmak. Sometimes it's Shver. You want Fleshiks and she wants Milchiks. It's Mama Shver. Sometimes it's Shver. It's Gishmak when she says, I want you to be happy so we'll have Fleshiks. But when she says, it's my turn and I want Milchiks, it's Shver. In every relationship, be it with our spouse, and be it at work, and be it with our parents, and be it in, with Hashem, and be it in life, for the most part, it's Gishmak. We should feel it and live it and have that smile on our face. But there are times that we are going to encounter that it's schwer, that it's not always easy. And maybe the third lesson of the Akedah, maybe another lesson of the Akedah, is the notion of Mesiris Nefesh, the notion of the struggle, the willingness to sacrifice, the willingness to engage and encounter the struggle. You know, in Rosh Hashanah, we use a shofar, and the Shulchan Aruch writes that when we use the shofar of Rosh Hashanah, one should preferably use the shofar of an ayel, of a ram. Although all shofaros are kosher, we, universally, use the shofar specifically of an ayel. And the Gemara Rosh Hashanah Tezayin wonders, why? Why do we blow the shofar specifically of a ram? Why specifically of an ayel? And the Gemara answers, Kush Baruch Hu says, blow for me with a ram shofar so I will remember Akedah's Yitzchak and I will consider it as though you were bound on the Akedah before me. Use the shofar so I'll remember Akedah's Yitzchak and I'll consider it as if you were bound on the Akedah before me. It just occurred to me, I never realized this before. It's fascinating. Maybe you all realize this. I just realized this right now in real time. The Gemara doesn't say... Who, who, does, who is the Gemara identifying as the hero of the story of Akedah's Yitzchak? When Hashem hears the shofar, He doesn't say, I will remember, Avraham, your willingness to sacrifice your son. Who does He remember? I will remember as though you were bound before me on the Akedah. From Hashem's perspective and the image of the shofar, who's the hero of Akedah's Yitzchak? Yitzchak. Yitzchak's willingness to be bound. Yitzchak was not uh, five years old. Yitzchak was not a bar mitzvah boy. He's 37 years old. He's a man. And he's not a stupid man. 
He knows what's going on. He is a hero, an unsung hero of the story of the Akedah. And when Hashem hears the shofar, and specifically the shofar of an ayel, Hashem says, ooh, the ayel, the ram, that reminds me, I will consider it as if you are bound on the Akedah. In other words, I will consider it as if you are being Moser Nefesh. Your willingness to sacrifice, your willingness to submit, your willingness to concede, your willingness to give up, your willingness like Avram to answer the call with a Hineni, here I am. I don't just show up when it's fun. I don't just show up when all is good. Hineni, Hineni. I'm not just a member of the shul when I can attend. I'm not just a member of a shul when you put out a good kiddush. Hineni. I maintain my membership even in tough times because that's what it means to be Moser Nefesh for community, for Klal Yisrael, for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for Yahadus. I don't just answer when I can have the good Shalashudas, the great speaker, the great concert, the great chazan, the great panel discussion, the great shiurim. Hineni. Even when I'm denied, even when it's Moser Nefesh, even when it's hard, Hineni. I'm willing to answer the call. I'm willing to answer the call. And so there's an element of the Akedah which is often overlooked. Nechama Leibovitz doesn't address it in her, in her commentary. But here's a question that Rav Meir Shapiro asks. Rav Meir Shapiro, the founder of the Daf Yomi, the Rosh Hashiva of Chachmei Lublin, and his Imre Das, Rav Meir Shapiro wonders the following question. When Avram raises his hand to slaughter his son, and the voice of the angel calls out and says, Stop! Don't do it! Now I know that you're God-fearing. Don't do it! Ask Rav Meir Shapiro, how does Avram know that it's not the Satan again? The Satan tried to make a argument, a paternal instinct argument. The Satan made a moral conscience argument. The Satan took the form of a river and tried to block him. So the voice that he hears that says, Stop! Don't do it! How does he know that that too is not the Satan? Maybe it's the Satan. Maybe it's the alter ego. Maybe it's the voice of doubt. Maybe it's the, it's the uh, voice of making an excuse. How does he know it's authentic? How does he know it's real? How does he know it's real? So says Rav Meir Shapiro, says Rav Meir Shapiro, you know how he knows it's real? He knows it's real because Avram looks up and he sees a ram, an ayel, ne'echaz besfach, struggling in the thicket. And when he notices the ram struggling, Avram is in fact convinced to put down the knife. Says Rav Meir Shapiro that falsehood and temptation come easy. Truth and meaning are connected to struggle and effort. And when Avram notices that the ram is struggling, when he hears the angel's voice, he says, in a place of struggle, there's truth. In a place of struggle, there's authenticity. In a place of struggle, there's that which is real and lasting. And when he sees the ram struggling, he knows that's not a satan. That's the voice of truth. The ram struggled to escape, but its horns were caught in the bush, and it couldn't get out. And the shofar represents our challenges and our struggles. And we embrace the shofar of the aisle. We use the shofar of the aisle to say, I don't bail when the tough get going. Rather, I lean in. I'm willing to be Moser Nefesh. I show up. Like the ram was willing to struggle, the shofar was caught in the thicket. I'm prepared for the struggle. I'm ready to be Moser Nefesh. I understand that Judaism is not only the moments of Gishmak to be a Yid, I'm ready for the Schwertz design to be a Yid. I don't only have faith with you when all is going well, I have faith with you in you, even when we're going through a challenging time. And so we saw this morning three different uh, additional lessons of the Akedah. The core, the central lesson of the Akedah this year as it is every year, 
is Avram Avinu's tremendous faith, Amuna, and that we too have that in our genetics, in our DNA, we can draw from, we can learn from, we have that capacity for that level of Amuna. That's lesson number one. That's the core lesson. But the three lessons that we complemented it with were, number one, the notion of an Isayon. Don't, don't resist the test. Lean into it. Embrace it. Grow from it. Recognize that it is in fact drawing out of us parts of ourselves that we never would have known. So we're being tested by Corona. We're being tested with our patience. And we're being tested with our health. And we're being tested to daven in a mask. I was thinking actually the other day during Slichos that we all have that merit on our behalf. It should be a kapara. Because Baruch Hu, it's hard enough to daven. Who doesn't count how many pages are left in the machzer on a normal year? It's hard enough to daven, to stand, to connect, to be moved. It's hard enough on a normal year to do it through a mask? <coughs> to do it through a mask? Hashem, we're being Moser Nefesh. It'd be much easier to daven at home. There are people who need to daven at home. They're doing the right thing. 100% daven at home. It's the safe, correct, right thing. Do it. There are people who need to. But it'd be easy for all of us to bail and to say, you know, I'm going to stay home. No mask. I'll do it on my own. But we're willing to be Moser Nefesh to wear that mask, Hashem. We're willing to endure a challenge to be able to connect with you this Rosh Hashanah. And so Hashem, let that be on our behalf. Nisayon, lean into the Nisyonos. Lean into the challenge because we grow from it. Number two, lesson number two, is the idea that doubts and uncertainty, they're okay. Avram gave us license. Avram makes it permissible. Avram creates the precedent. However, like Avram, Bayom Ashlishi, we have to put one foot in front of the other until we arrive to persevere, to triumph, to be tenacious, to have resiliency and resolve, to maintain our faith in the end, to run over or around or through that wall when we need to. And number three, Mesiris Nefesh. Yes, it's Kishmak to be a Yid, but sometimes it's Shver. And Hashem, we're willing to be Moser Nefesh. This Corona, it poses challenges, but we're willing to be Moser Nefesh. We're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to struggle because we know religion means to concede, to submit to you, to what you have in store for us. Mitzvah when we hear the second day, the reading of Akedas Yitzchak, when we stand at Tashlach by that body of water, when we listen to that shofar and the sound from coming from the ram, may we be inspired by these lessons. We should all be written and sealed for Ksiva Chesimatova, a year of only the best health and happiness of Nachas from family, of celebrating Simcha of Parnasa. Hashem should answer all of our desires for the good. Looking forward to seeing everyone next year, as in next Tuesday. Have a wonderful Shana Tova Umesuka.